Peace be upon you. So Bukhari is considered the most renowned collector of hadith in the traditional Muslim world. He was born in 810 and was the first individual to collect a compilation of only Sahih hadith, which he published around the year 846, some 213 years after the death of the Prophet. The term Sahih means authentic and is said of a hadith that has been preserved and transmitted accurately. According to legend, Bukhari collected and memorized some 600,000 hadith, along with their corresponding chain of narrators. From this list, he removed nearly 99% of the hadith because he considered them unreliable and selected only 7,563 hadith that he put into his collection of Sahih Hadith. One of the major mistakes people assume about Hadith is that the Hadith are explanations of the Quranic verses. Instead, these are snippets of supposed sayings or actions of the prophets and his companions, and only afterwards retroactively attempting to apply these to some of the verses of the Quran. These hadith usually lack much context or details and oftentimes contradict one another. For instance, you will see hadith that says that the Prophet lived 10 years in Mecca and 10 years in Medina and died at the age of 60, while other Sahih Bukhari hadith claim that he lived 13 years in Mecca and 10 years in Medina and died at the age of 63. For instance, if we look at Sahih Bukhari number 3547, it says, I heard Anas bin Malik describing the Prophet, saying, He was of medium height amongst the people, neither tall nor short. He had a rosy color, neither absolutely white nor deep brown. His hair was neither completely curly nor quite lank. Divine inspiration was revealed to him when he was 40 years old. He stayed 10 years in Mecca receiving the divine inspiration and stayed in Medina for 10 more years. When he expired, he had scarcely 20 white hairs on his head and beard. Rabi said, I saw some of his hairs and it was red. When I asked about that, I was told that it turned red because of scent. So in this hadith, it's stating that the Prophet lived 20 years from when he was commissioned to be a prophet. And you'll see in other hadith that it says that he died at the age of 60. But if we contrast that with some other Sahih Bukhari hadith, it says this one is Sahih Bukhari number 3902 and also Sahih Bukhari 3851. It says narrated by Ibn Abbas, Allah's messenger started receiving divine inspiration at the age of 40. Then he stayed in Mecca for 13 years, receiving the divine revelation. Then he was ordered to migrate and he lived as an immigrant for 10 years, then died at the age of 63 years. If something so straightforward can be misconstrued, what does it say about all the other supposed authentic hadith? Additionally, for Muslims who believe in this concept of abrogation, that some of these revelations given to the Prophet supersede previous revelations or supersede even the verses of the Quran, one of the problems with this is there is no timestamps on these hadith. Some of them can be attributed to certain events that are mentioned in the hadith, but all in all, we cannot get a chronological order of every single Sahih hadith. Because of this uncertainty, the Muslim masses resort to their scholars to try to make sense of these contradictions. By doing so, they're inevitably turning their scholars into their idols.
In Surah 9, verse 31, it says, They have set up their religious leaders and scholars as lords instead of God. Others defied the Messiah, Son of Mary. They were all commanded to worship only one God. There is no God except He. Be He glorified, high above having partners. The second we outsource our religious guidance to scholars and imams and others, in essence, we're setting up these entities as a God beside God. God gave us the hearing, the eyesight, the brain, and we are each responsible for our own souls. In Surah 2 verse 170, it says, When they are told, follow what God has revealed herein, they say, we follow only what we found our parents doing. What if their parents did not understand and were not guided? The Quran tells us that our only source of religious law should be the Quran alone. This is because the Quran is complete, it's fully detailed, and it's our only consistent source. In Surah 6 verse 114 through 116 it reads, Shall I seek other than God as a source of law when he has revealed to you this book fully detailed? Those who receive the scripture recognize that it has been revealed from your Lord. Truthfully, you shall not harbor any doubt. The word of your Lord is complete in truth and justice. Nothing shall abrogate his words. He is the hearer, the omniscient. And it continues in 6.116, it gives us this dire warning. It says, if you obey the majority of people on earth, they will divert you from the path of God. They follow only conjecture. They only guess. Some may ask, they say, if we aren't to follow this hadith, why would God allow these compilations to come to fruition? And God gives us this answer in the Quran. In Surah 6, verse 112 and 113, we read, We have permitted the enemies of every prophet, human and jinn devils, to inspire in each other fancy words in order to deceive. Had your Lord willed, they would not have done it. You shall disregard them and their fabrications. This is to let the minds of those who do not believe in the hereafter listen to such fabrications and accept them, and thus expose their real convictions. We see from these verses that this is a test for the believers, that God gave us the best hadith in the form of the Quran, but additionally he allowed humans and jinns to compile their own source of hadith to see what our true convictions are. Do we follow the words of God alone or do we follow the innovations created by humans and jinns? Ironically, one of the benefits of having such a contradictory source to compete against is that you can use the sources that these individuals uphold to show that their viewpoint is wrong. This is similar to when you're debating with someone of a different faith. You know, if I debate with them using the Quran, they're going to reject it. But if I'm talking to a Christian, I use the Bible. If I'm talking to someone who's Jewish, I'm going to use the Old Testament. If I'm talking to a Muslim, I can use the Quran. But additionally, because they uphold the Hadith, I can use the Hadith to show that their understanding of setting up a source beside the Quran as a source of religious law is wrong. So God willing, in this episode, I want to cite some of the most anti-Hadith Hadith from Sahih Bukhari. Hadith that completely demolish this whole concept of upholding these supposed sayings and actions and emulations of the Prophet. And the purpose of this is to show that this whole compilation of the supposed narrations of the Prophet and his companions contradict the teachings of the Prophet himself. And this is even according to their own sources. So let's get started. The first one is Sahih Bukhari 2155, narrated by Aisha. It reads, Allah's messenger came to me and I told him about the slave girl, Baria. Allah's messenger said, buy and manumit her. 
for the walla is for the one who manumits. In the evening, the Prophet got up and glorified Allah as he deserved, and then said, Why do some people impose conditions which are not present in Allah's book? Whoever imposes such a condition as it is not in Allah's laws, then that condition is invalid, even if he imposes 100 conditions, for Allah's conditions are more binding and reliable. So here in this hadith, the Prophet is criticizing those who take other laws outside of what's specified in the Quran. Again, it says, why do some people impose conditions which are not present in Allah's book? Whoever imposes such a condition as is not in Allah's laws, then that condition is invalid, even if he imposes 100 conditions. For Allah's conditions are more binding and reliable. This is telling us again that the conditions by which we judge, the conditions by which we live by, are what's found in God's book, the Quran. The second hadith is, explains that the only thing left by the Prophet was only the Quran. This is Sahih Bukhari 5019. And this is narrated by Abdul Aziz bin Rufay. Shaddad bin Makil and I entered upon Ibn Abbas. Shaddad bin Makil asked him, did the Prophet leave anything besides the Quran? He replied, he did not leave anything except what is between the two bindings of the Quran. Then we visited Muhammad bin al-Hanifiyah and asked him the same question. He replied, the Prophet did not leave except what is between the bindings and they're inferring the Quran. This shows that the only thing the Prophet left them was this Quran. He did not leave them hadith and sunnah and these other stuff. This is all attributed to him after the fact of what he left, which was purely the Quran. And this corresponds with God's commandment, that his sole duty was to deliver this Quran. This concept of the Prophet being a model for future generations to emulate holds no bearing whatsoever in the Quran. So again, the first hadith tells us that the only law we are to uphold is that of the Quran. The second one tells us that the Prophet, the only thing he left was this Quran. And this takes us to the third hadith, which informs us, that the only preserved divine revelation that the Prophet had was the Qur'an. And this is uh, Bukhari 6903. This is narrated by Ashubi. It reads, I heard Abu Jahifa saying, I asked Ali, is there anything that is not in the Qur'an? And in another narration it says, once he said, what is not with the people? Ali replied, by him who made the grain split, germinate, and created the soul. We have nothing except what is in the Quran. The only understanding he gives man is in his book and what is written in this paper. So here, Ali is giving a direct answer that the only divine preserved revelation is what's in this book, this Quran. And not only that, it states that the only understanding that God gives man is what's in his book. And again, this shows that the understanding, the teachings, the laws, all this came from the Quran alone. And this was the understanding at that time. But what's interesting is that it also cites what is written in this paper. And for that, we have to go to the fourth hadith. As far as what is it that's written in this paper? And this narration comes from uh, Sahih Bukhari, 1870, but it's repeated in multiple hadith. So this one is Mutawatir. And this one is narrated by Ali. It says, we have nothing except the book of Allah 
and this written paper from the prophet, wherein it's written, the sacred city that is between air and such and such, whoever he narrates therein an innovation. And what's interesting is this word for innovation in Arabic is hadith. So whoever uh, he narrates therein a hadith or sheltered a propagator of innovation, again, the same word hadith, then upon him is the curse of God, the angels, and all the people. Not he will accept from him an excuse and not a ransom. So in this phrase, it's saying that anyone, this is what the paper states, anyone who narrates therein a hadith or shelters a propagator of hadith, then upon him is the curse of God, the angels, and all the people. So in one statement, he's saying, look, the only understanding we have is what's in this uh, this Quran, what's between these two bindings. And in this one, the piece of paper that the Prophet supposedly left is condemning anyone who's creating hadith, innovations, outside of what's written in the Quran. And it continues. And he said, the responsibility of the Muslim submitter is one. Then whoever he violated his responsibility with a Muslim, then upon him is the curse of God, the angels, and all the people. Not he will accept from him an excuse and not a ransom. And it's stating again, it's, it's making this clause that the objective of the Muslim is again to uphold the Quran alone. And there's a third clause. It reads, And whoever he turned away a people without the permission of his master, then upon him is the curse of God, the angels, and all the people. Not he will accept from him an excuse and not a ransom. So look at these three statements again. That anyone who narrates an innovation, and the, the, the Arabic word for this is a hadith, or shelters someone who propagates an innovation, and again, the same word hadith, then upon him is the curse of God, the angels, and all the people. And then it says, the responsibility of the Muslim is one. What is that responsibility? It's to uphold the Quran. And it says, then whoever he violated this responsibility, then upon him is the curse of God, the angels, and all the people. Not he will accept from him an excuse and not a ransom. Then it's sending a warning. It says, whoever he turned away a people without the permission of his master. So someone spreads this hadith. It causes people to go astray. And they didn't get permission to do this, that God is condemning them. It says, it's cursed of God, the angels, and all the people. Not he will accept from him an excuse and not a ransom. You know what this reminds me of? It's the, uh, the, the movie Fight Club. It says, the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. And in this one, it's saying that, look, the only divine revelation we have is the Quran and what's written in this paper. Well, what's written in the paper? Don't create hadith. Don't propagate innovations and attribute them to God or his messenger. It's basically a callback to the first hadith. And that's hilarious. So let's look at another pro-Quran alone hadith, an anti-hadith hadith. This one is regarding the Quran being sufficient. So this is coming from Bukhari 114, but again, this is a mutawatir hadith. You'll see it in multiple narrations. And uh, it basically is discussing what took place when the prophet was about to die. So according to this narration, you know, the prophet was on his deathbed. This means that he already gave the revelation. He fulfilled his duty. And right before he passes, he makes this request. And so this comes from Bukhari 114, but again, it's written in multiple narrations. 
And it states, Abbas said, when the ailment of the prophet became worse, he said, bring for me a paper and I will write for you a statement after which you will not go astray. But Umar said, the prophet is seriously ill and we have got Allah's book with us and that is sufficient for us. So here, again, the prophet is telling them, saying, look, give me a piece of paper. I'll write you something. I will write you a narration, a statement, a hadith that will cause you not to go astray. And the response from Umar was the fact that it says, we have Allah's book and this is sufficient for us. If these people were biting at the bit to get hadith, to learn all the statements from the prophet outside of the Quran, why would he make such a statement and say that the Quran is sufficient for us? The reason is, is because this compilation, this collection of hadith and these uh, labeling of it and using it as a secondary source was not something that was practiced during the time of the prophet. This was an innovation that became canonized over 200 years after the prophet's death. And we'll see that this statement that the Quran is sufficient for us ruffled some companions the wrong way. But there was a subset of them who wanted to hear what the Prophet had to write. And it reads, but the companions of the Prophet deferred about this. And uh, there was a hue and a cry. On that, the Prophet said to them, go away and leave me alone. It is not right that you should quarrel in front of me. Ibn Abbas came out saying, it was most unfortunate, great disaster that Allah's Messenger was prevented from writing that statement for them because of their disagreement and noise. So we see that when question regarding, hey, give me a piece of paper so I can write. One, this shows that the prophet had the capability of writing. He wasn't illiterate. Secondly, we see that Umar said that the Quran is sufficient for us, that this is all they needed for their religious salvation. These responses that are coming from Umar and Ali, indicating that they believe that all they needed for religious salvation was the Quran, that it was the only source of guidance, that it was the only source of religious laws, the only divine revelation that was preserved from the Prophet. They didn't believe in this concept of going around collecting the sayings of the Prophet, that this again was an innovation that happened many years later. And this takes us to the sixth anti-Hadith Hadith. And it's regarding what is the best Hadith. And this is Sahih Bukhari 7000. 277 narrated by Abdullah and it says the best talk and again the Arabic literally says hadith is Allah's book the Quran and the best guidance is the guidance of Muhammad and the worst commands are the innovators of it now what's interesting is again the word in Arabic for innovations is hadith in this uh, narration so it's saying that the worst commands are the hadith of it the hadith of what and it makes sense that this, the previous statement was regarding the guidance of Muhammad. That it's saying that the worst commands are the hadith that are being attributed to the guidance of Muhammad. And whatever you have been promised will surely come to pass and you cannot escape. So it's stating very clearly that the best hadith is Allah's book, the Quran. And the worst is the hadith that are being attributed to the Prophet. And this is very similar to the Quran, Surah 39, verse 23. It reads, God has revealed herein the best hadith, a book that is consistent and points out both ways to heaven and hell. The skins of those who reverence their Lord cringe therefrom. Then their skins and their hearts soften up for God's message. Such is God's guidance. He bestows it upon whomever he wills. As for those sent astray by God, nothing can guide them. 
in this verse is informing us that the guidance comes from God alone. And what's interesting is if we continue reading, we see the parallels between what these narrations are saying and what God is saying in the Quran regarding the people who propagate these narrations. It states in Surah 39 from 24 through 29, it says, What is better than saving one's face from the terrible retribution on the day of resurrection? The transgressors will be told, taste the consequences of what you earned. Others before them have disbelieved, and consequently the retribution afflicted them whence they never expected. God has condemned them to humiliation in this life, and retribution in the hereafter will be far worse if they only knew. We have cited for the people every kind of example in this Quran, that they may take heed, an Arabic Quran, without any ambiguity, that they may be righteous. God cites the example of a man who deals with disputing partners akin to hadith, compared to a man who deals with one consistent source. Are they the same? Praise be to God. Most of them do not know. Then it continues, and it's literally forewarning us about what these individuals are going to do regarding the hadith. It says in 3930, it says, You, Muhammad, will surely die, just like they will die. On the day of resurrection before your Lord, you people will feud with one another. Who is more evil than one who attributes lies to God? while disbelieving in the truth that has come to him, is hell not a just record for the disbelievers. As for those who promote the truth and believe therein, they are the righteous. They will get everything they wish at their Lord. Such is the reward for the righteous. God remits their sinful works and rewards them generously for their good works. And then it asks the most profound question in Surah 39, verse 36. It reads, is God not sufficient for his servant? They frighten you with the idols they set up beside him. Whomever God sends astray, nothing can guide him. And whomever God guides, nothing can send him astray. Is God not almighty avenger? And it gives us again this warning. It says, if you ask them, who created the heavens and the earth? They will say, God. Say, why then do you set up idols beside God? If God willed any adversity for me, can they relieve such an adversity? And if he willed any blessing for me, can they prevent such a blessing? Say, God is sufficient for me. In him the trusters shall trust. So these verses are stating, again, that the Quran is consistent. It's fully detailed. It has explanations for everything. That the followers of the Prophet are going to feud with one another. And God is saying, equating them to idol worshippers. That despite their lips saying they believe in God, their actions are saying otherwise. And this brings to the seventh hadith. And this one is regarding the spreaders of hadith on the day of resurrection. And this is Sahih Bukhari 7051. And again, you'll see this narrated several times in the Bukhari collection. And this is regarding what the Prophet is going to say on the day of resurrection regarding his people. It says, the Prophet said, I will say those people are from me. So this is the Prophet saying that he sees a group of people and he's saying they're, they're from my people. It will be said, you do not know what changes and new things they did after you. Then I will say, far removed, far removed, those who changed the religion after me. So the prophet is disowning these people who changed the religion after him. And again, what do the Hadith do? They add additional stipulations, prohibitions, things that were never authorized by God. If we go back to the very first Hadith we looked at, where the Prophet supposedly states, Why do some people impose conditions which are not present in Allah's book? 
whoever imposes such a condition as is not in Allah's laws, then that condition is invalid. Even if he imposes 100 conditions, for Allah's conditions are more binding and reliable. Consistently, we see in the Quran that the only source of religious law we are to uphold is the Quran alone. Ironically, even when we go to the Hadith literature, as we've seen, it's condemning the spreaders, the creators of Hadith. It's calling these innovations that they're never been authorized or permitted by God. And we have the strongest testimony in the Quran as far as how this is going to be for the individuals who are upholding this secondary source, this concoction made by humans and jinns that they're imposing as religious laws never authorized by God. It reads in Surah 25, verse 27 through 30, regarding the testimony of the people and the messenger himself on the day of resurrection. It says, The day will come when the transgressor will bite his hands in anguish and say, At last, I wish I followed the path with the messenger. So this individual is saying they want to follow the path with the messenger. Because one of the criticisms you hear is that you say, oh, you have to follow the Hadith if you want to follow the path of the Prophet. So this person is saying that he wished he followed the path of the Messenger. What is this path? And it continues, 25-28. It says, alas, woe to me, I wish I did not take that person as a friend. He has led me away from the message after it came to me. Indeed, the devil lets down his human victims. And the next statement in Surah 25, verse 30, it tells us exactly what the prophet is going to say against his people on the day of resurrection. It says, the messenger said, my Lord, my people have deserted this Quran. Notice, it doesn't say they deserted my sunnah. It doesn't say they deserted my hadith. It says they deserted this Quran because this is what the prophet was commanded to deliver. This is the only source of religious law we are to uphold. This man-made innovations that are being attributed falsely to the prophet are works of the devil and need to be abolished. We should never use these as a source of law. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys want to look at these hadith, I'm going to have the links to the articles so you can go and research them and read them for yourself. And if you want to get in contact, talk to other like-minded individuals, join us on our Discord server. The invite link is below. If you want to follow along the verses of God from the Quran and understand the translation, please download the Quran study app on the iOS app store. And until next time, peace and God bless.